morning. Good morning. Welcome to East Hillsville Baptist Church. We are so glad that you could join us this morning. And as we begin our service, we just want to say a special word of thanks to those who may be visiting with us today. We encourage you before you leave as our guest to please stop by our guest table located in the lobby. And we have a guest bag there. But also we would encourage you to fill out the care card in your bulletin. Uh, maybe some of you have been visiting for a while. And occasionally we have class 101, which is our new members class. And we'd just like to find out those who may be interested in taking class 101. It doesn't mean you have to join East Taylorsville, but it does give you an idea of who we are. That's very wise before you join any church, what we believe. And we would encourage you to be a part of that. So if you're interested in that, you can fill out the care card. Just check the box for class 101. Uh, fill out your information. You can drop that in the baskets on your way out today. And if you're visiting with us, please do the same. Um, but right now, I want to say to all of our dads, Happy Father's Day. And I'm going to ask everyone to stand. I want you to take just a minute to welcome those around you, and if you're near your dad, if you're near your dad or maybe granddad, give them a hug, and uh, let's just welcome one another to the service as we prepare for our baby dedication. Check one, check one, check one. Uh, I hear you. Hello, can you hear me? Hey guys, if I can have everybody's attention, I'm going to ask you to be seated, and we have a very special baby dedication this morning. I'm going to ask Taylor and Trey Metz to come forward with my grandson, Barrett Allen Metz. And they come here this morning, we're going to dedicate a uh, little, little Barrett. I'd just like to say that this is the happiest kid ever. Uh, we just got back from Oak Island, and Barrett probably met 100 new people because he waves at everybody. You want to wave at everybody, Barrett? He's like, nope, not going to right now. <laughs> He's done it all week, but he's not going to right now. Yeah, he will. But we're so, so happy to have him here to dedicate him this morning. And Taylor and Trey, I just want to say this. The Bible says a lot of things about children and God's word. In Psalm 127, God said this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Jesus said this, Let the little children come. Do not hinder them. Deuteronomy says this. It tells us that as parents, it's our job to teach our kids the truths of the Christian faith. And that's why you're here this morning. You're going to make a covenant with Barrett, with our church, and with the Lord that you're going to raise Barrett up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Then our church is going to make a covenant that we're going to do everything that we can through our time, talent, and resources to help him come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you this question. In presenting Barrett to the Lord, do you promise through God's grace and the help of the church to teach your child the truths of the Christian faith do you also promise through prayer, word, and example to bring Barrett up in the nurture, discipline, and instruction of the Lord? Yes, we do. All right, in congregation, uh, as you know, we say this often, it takes a church to raise a child, and you'll have Barrett in nursery, extended session. You'll have him VBS, Sunday school, all the way up. So I ask you this question as well. Do you promise to provide spiritual instruction for Barrett by giving of your time, talent, and resources to help him come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Here you go. And do you promise through prayer, word, and example to pray for Trey and Taylor as they seek to raise Barrett in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Respond by saying we do. We're going to give you several things this morning. Come around here. We have Barrett a Bible, and this is Carolina Blue because he's going to be a Tar Heel fan. He's going to pull for Dallas and the Yankees. All right, so we'll give you that. We also have a certificate of dedication that marks this day. Uh, we have, let me grab this just very important. Uh, regardless of your age, this is a wonderful book. If you're watching online, I would encourage you to get, a, get this book. It explains the gospel 
in really childlike terms, but it's for adults as well. If you've ever struggled with why Jesus died and why we must place our faith and trust in him, get this book. You can go through it with your family. You can go through it with your children. But we give every parent this book, and I encourage you all to go through uh, that with Barrett. Uh, we have an ETBC student ministry t-shirt, all right? And then this is a letter from Papa to Barrett. And this is a letter I wrote for him on the day that the Lord saves him. And, you know, it doesn't matter to me how much money he makes, how much education he has, but the most important thing is for this young boy to know Jesus and to be born again. And that's all that matters to me. And we're going to pray for that right now. Would you, would you pray with me now for him? Father, as we come to you in prayer, I just want to thank you so much for this little boy. Father, he's such a blessing to me. And, Father, all I care about is his salvation. And, Father, I pray that you'd save him at an early age and use him for your honor and for your glory. And, Father, I pray that Taylor and Trey would be good, godly examples to him. And, Father, I just pray that, Lord, this day would be remembered because the day we baptize him, we can look back on it and thank you for what you did. So, Father, we pray for his salvation. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. God bless you. Thank you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. as we worship this morning.
Father. I want to wish you a happy Father's Day again this morning. My dad's been in heaven for 20 plus years. You miss your dad when he's gone. If you have a dad here today, tell him you love him. Love your father. You know, I want to share something with you this morning. There's a gift outside on the table for you fathers, if you'll pick that up on your way out on the table. But I want to share with something about Fighting Hope Ministry. We've been supporting them for the last five years. The orphans there, they don't have fathers. And this, just a few months ago, house number one burnt. And we're going to be putting together a team of six to eight men. We'd love to have you to come if you have experience in building. I want you to see me as soon as possible. We're going to be buying tickets and hope to go maybe the second week in August. But I want you to be praying for Nathan and Anka as they're working out those things and those details. We need people to go and help rebuild that building where those kids can have a place to sleep and a roof over their head. They've truly been a father to these kids. They've rescued them. So I want you to pray for them this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray with me. Also, I want you to pray for Del Reese. She's at Hospice House. I want you to pray for her, her family, Shelly and Shad. I want you to remember Shirley Lambert. She's having surgery this week. I want you to pray for her. I want you to pray for Anthony Fairchild. He's having surgery this week. Father, we love you this morning because you first loved us. Happy Father's Day. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for giving us grace and mercy that we don't deserve. Thank you for giving us eternal life. Thank you for loving us today. Father, you love us so much. And we want to thank you for that. Father, we want to pray for those that are hurting around the world. We want to pray for those kids over in Romania. Father, we want to pray for Nathan and Anka. Lord, as they're ministering to many children that don't have a father this morning. I pray you'd bless them. Father, I pray for Dale this morning, for her family. You give her grace and mercy and be with her during this time in great comfort and peace. Be with Shirley, she has surgery this week, and Anthony as well. Father, we want to thank you that you're a God who hears us, that you're a God who loves us, and you answer prayer. We love you this morning because you first loved us. You first loved us. Father, bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know. 
Thank you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. We've been going through uh, the life of David. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at how uh, David had this tremendous opportunity to kill Saul, and he wouldn't do it. And uh, some people have called that one of his greatest spiritual accomplishments in his life. And I think today, what we'll see is one of the worst, well, not one of the worst, but it's one of the many uh, times in David's life where he struggled, and it cost a lot of people. But then you see David turn back to the Lord. And you see David regain his family back. But the title of the message today is, Where is Dad? Because David is gone, and he leaves his home unguarded. Jesus told us this. He said, A wise man will, it, will build his house upon the rock. And when the storms come and, and, and the water rages, that that house will stand. He said, A foolish man doesn't build his house upon the rock. And we see in David's life that Jesus was his foundation, but today we're going to see for just a little season in his life, David almost forgot who he was. And I think there are a lot of good men in America today, good dads, who they're at a season in their life where they just forget who they are. You forget whose you are. And, and what we're going to see today is that this cost David, it cost his wives, it cost his children, and it cost his men. So it's very important. So let me ask you the question today. Where's, where's dad? Where are you, dads? We have an epidemic in America where men are not men and dads are not dads. They just aren't. Sad times. And the sad thing is some of that infiltrates into the church. So I'm going to speak to you today about dad. Dad, you're to be the protector of your home. You're to be the provider of your home. And you're to be the priest of your home. When when chapter 30, verse 1 starts, David is none of those. But by chapter, uh, the end of the chapter, he's all of those. So if you'll stand with me, let's, let's look at these first eight verses <coughs> together. Excuse me. Now it happened. Anytime the Bible mentions this, now it happens. Okay? Very important change in David's life. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women and those who were there from small to great and did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way the problem we have here is this David is with the Philistines he's being chased by Saul he leaves his family behind with his 600 men and goes to live with the enemy that's where David is in his life right now and because David left his home unguarded the Amalekites whom God told uh, Saul to wipe out back in 1 Samuel 11 12 13 I can't remember because he didn't do that they they hung around and then they came back and they take David's wife Wives, David's children, and all his men's stuff. Now notice what else in verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. And see, men, that's what happens when you leave your home unguarded. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. We see this played out over and over every day in America. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Notice what, what David calls because of his bad decision. His men, these fighting men, these elite of the elite, cried so much they couldn't cry anymore. That's how hurt they are. See, men, your, your decisions as a leader have consequences that trickle all the way down. So I asked this question, where's dad this morning? Where are you? Are you here? Are you in your home? Are you leaving your homes unguarded? And David's two wives, and we don't have to go into why God allowed that to happen, but he did. Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, no kidding. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, 
every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself, and the Lord is God. Let me read that again. But David strengthened himself, and the Lord is one of the greatest verses in 1 Samuel is that verse. That shows you that it's not too late. You can get your family back. You can get your reputation back. You can get your self-esteem back. You can, get your, you can get your pride back, men. You can get it back. But you must do what David did here. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overcome them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them without fail and recover all. Isn't that a blessing? It's not too late. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Father, I want to thank you for 1 Samuel. Lord, I've personally learned so many lessons from the life of David. Lord, a man after your own heart, the greatest king to ever live from Israel, who, who Jesus came through his line, prophesied about, songs have been written about, we preach about. But Lord, what a flawed man. It gives us hope. None of us are perfect. So I'm not talking to perfect dads this morning. I'm just talking to real men. And Father, I pray for those of us that need it, and this most of us, that we'd strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God this morning. And that, Lord, our children would never have to ask this question, where is dad? And I pray that you'd be glorified because of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The first thing we see here is that dad, where's dad? Why would you ask that? Because dad is our protector. Notice in, in 1 Samuel 27, this is where David had gotten because Saul was chasing him. And we've seen David rely on the Lord and trust in the Lord. But there was a time because I think there's 14 to 15 months that have passed that David's on the run. David says this. Notice verse 1. This is where David had gotten in his life. And David said in his heart, he's speaking to himself, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. Is that true? That can't happen. Because God made a promise. And, and, and David knew that. David knew that he was immortal till God was done with him. Saul was not going to kill David. David knew that. But what happens to us sometimes, all right, when we're not walking with God or troubles and trials come, or just the day-to-day -day ends of life, we forget who we are. David forgot God's promises. Notice what he says, I shall perish someday, someday by the hand of Saul. So there is nothing better for me to do that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. Think about that. I'll go live with the enemy. Our other than the Amalekites, the Philistines were their worst enemy. And David says in his mind, I am going to go live with the enemy. And I would tell you this, men, do not play around with sin. Listen to what David did. David makes a change in his mind, and his decision, this decision will affect not only his family, but 600 men and their families as well. Isn't that amazing? Just because he forgot who he was. Just because he forgot God's promises. Just because he was having a hard time. Of course he was having a hard time. He was on the run, and they were trying to kill him. But David, not only that, look, David is not only fighting with the enemy, but David is playing with the enemy. David should have left them alone, but he played around with them. And I would tell you this, the Bible says this, do not play around with sin. The Bible says to flee youthful lust. But notice what David does. It says, he says, I will speedily go. And David quickly moved in the wrong direction. One, one scholar put it this way, when one walks away from God, it may feel freeing, even pleasurable. Maybe even delightful, but after a while the bills come due. And notice verse 3 of chapter 27. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He's living with the enemy. He and his men, each man with his household, 
and David with his two wives. So David's decision affects 600 people and their family. You know what David had become, men? David had become spiritually impotent. You know what impotence means, don't you? It means you, when you possess the equipment, but you lack the passion to perform. David was impotent. David left his home and guarded. Notice verse 2 and 3, what happened? His home was literally burned to the ground. One scholar put it this way. He says, when it comes to practically every question about God's intentions for men and women, the answer is almost always the same. Go back to the garden. When Jesus asked about marriage, when Jesus was asked about marriage in Matthew 19, 4 and 6, he answered from Genesis 2. Likewise, when Paul was discussing the role of women in relation to men, he found his answers in Genesis 2. The New Testament sees issues of gender and female uh, relationships answered in the opening chapters of the Bible in Genesis 2. It is here we find out the most basic characteristic of manhood. You'll never understand God's idea for marriage, his understanding of husbands and wives, unless you read through Genesis 1 and 2. Nor will you understand what it means to be a man, married or single, without understanding Genesis 1 or 2. Genesis 2, 7 tells us that God's special formation of man. Now think about this, okay? David's supposed to be the protector. We get this from Genesis 2. Notice the verse on the screen. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it, to provide and to protect. Avad Shamar. We get this from Genesis 2. David understood this. And then you look back at 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 and 2, and David's not there. He's not the protector. One scholar kept on, he put it this way, God made no other creature with such hands-on care than man. To create animals, God simply spoke, and his declaration was enough. But God formed man and molded him with fatherly care, made in his image. Then God breathed life into man. He became a spiritual creature. We are not animals. The reason we have dominion over animals is not evolution, and we get lucky. But God formed us and breathed his life into us. And then God put man in a garden. He tells him to do this. This is what you're to do, men. You're to tend, which we'll look at next, but you're also to keep it. Look at the word shamar. That's not changed. That means to guard, to watch, to protect, to take under custody, to exercise care. It was used of soldiers, shepherds, and priests. You're to, you're, you're to be the shamar, the protector of your home. Now, David is the king, the greatest king. He's the greatest warrior to ever live. And then here come the Amalekites and take his wife and kids. He was not the protector of his home. You are the protector of your home, men. This word, keep, listen to how it's used. One scholar says, I especially love the way God use, uses his, this word regarding himself. God uses this word, keep it, shamar, about himself. The Lord frequently states that he guards and keeps those who trust in him. In fact, shamar is the idea behind the powerful biblical image of the Lord as a strong tower. In Psalm 121, the Bible says this. David writing says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven. Behold, he who keeps, that same word, Israel, will neither slumber nor sleep. This means that man is not only to wield the plow, but to bear the sword. Adam was not only to keep the garden fruitful, but to keep it safe. And look how one, listen to how one man put it. To be a man is to stand up and be counted when there is danger, or other evil. God does not desire for men to stand by idly and allow harm or permit wickedness to exert itself. In our families, our presence is to make our wives and children feel secure and at ease. 
At church, of course, we're to stand for the truth and godliness, but we're also to stand up against the sword. That means that you guard your family physically. Are you the protector of your home, men? Are you the protector of your home? David was not here. He was not. We see this reality played out every day in America as well. We live in a wicked, evil world. How you do that is up to you, but you're to be a man. If you think you'll talk your way out of every situation, you may be correct, but you're probably not. Ignorant people think that people are basically good. Ignorant people think people are, are, are basically not evil. I, I remember going to the Alexander County Prison, talking to a man. They just asked me probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And they said, we just got to warn you before you go in here. We have to give you this, this warning. This is a really wicked person, is basically what they put, okay? And I said, okay, whatever. And they said, we're going to have to handcuff him to the bed while you stand outside. Two guards will have to be in the room with you. I said, really? They said, you don't, you don't understand who you're dealing with. And I said, okay. So I go in there, and I'm talking to this guy, and you can just sense the evil. They wouldn't let me go all the way in the room, right? But we're standing here talking like I am to matters a little bit closer. And, and he said, I just want to talk to you about my kids. I said, all right, let's talk about them. So we started talking about his kids, all right? And I said, uh, would, would you mind if I pray for your children? He says, I don't mind. I, I want you to do that. And I said, can I pray for you? And he says, no, it's not necessary. And I said, you sure about that? He says, do you think I'm, what do you mean am I sure? He said, do you realize if I wasn't handcuffed here, what I'd do to you? He said, he said I'd love to be out of this jail to taste blood one more time. Now, after I prayed with this guy and left, I thought to myself, what if I run into that dude at Walmart and he come up to me, my, my wife and kids? What are you going to do? You think somebody's coming to save you? You got a button you're going to mash? What are you going to do? Man, you're the shamar of your family. Be a man. The Amalekites came. You know what the Amalekites were going to do to David's wives and his daughters because he wasn't there? Because he was not the protector? You need to make a commitment today that you're going to protect, be the protector of your family. That is your call and role in life. You think the police is going to get there in time to save you? They're not. You know who the protector of my wife is today? That's me. It's not the police person that's on duty. It's my duty here. You, you need to make a, a, a commitment to be the protector of your home physically. David was not there. And it, took, it, it cost him, listen, it cost him his relationship at this moment with his family. Lieutenant David Grossman said this. He said, I'd rather walk out the door naked than be with my loved ones without the tools to protect them. I could not live with myself if something happened to them in my presence and I wasn't prepared. Where's dad? He's our protector. Where are you, men? Where are you, men? Rise up and be the protector of your home. It cost David here. It cost David his wives. But notice what he does. He applies this principle in verse 17 and 18 of chapter 30 to get them back. Verse 17 says, Then David, David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. He got his wives back. Now let me ask you a question today. When it comes to your marriage, there are three types of marriages, examples of marriages in this sanctuary this morning. Number one, you're either holding hands and smiling. Number two, you're just enduring one another. Or number three, you're looking for a way out. Now listen, David got his wives back. You know what their name meant? Delight and joy. 
He got his wives back. You, you, you know the interesting thing about that that some people don't apply? They wanted to come back. Man, you cannot talk your wives into loving you. Can't do it. You cannot talk, ladies, you cannot talk your spouse into repenting. You can't do it. You know, love says this. It's, it's an act of the will. It's an act of the motion. It's not a feeling. And when I say I love you, that means that I'm not leaving you. I love you. I'm staying in this relationship. You cannot make another person do that. You can't do it. When I counsel with couples sometimes, it's so hard when, when I can see that one person has already checked out and this person hasn't. And I have to look at that person and say, you can't make them love you. You can't. See, David's wives gladly came back. You can't make them love you. In this, in this idea of being the protector of the home and protecting your spouse, you have to make this decision. I am going to love you till death do us part. The Bible says this, men. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Most marriage counselors will tell you that the most, most marital conflicts are caused by selfishness in men and women. Not meeting each other's needs, being selfish regardless of age. God, listen ladies, God has uniquely designed a woman, you, so that another woman can't meet your needs. The same for a man. So you must, you must be willing to say, as, as a protector of your home, I will love my spouse. Where are you going? Rejoice when the wife of your youth. David got his girls back. Not only that, but notice the second thing. Where is dad? Dad is a provider. If you notice down here, the Bible says in verses 15 and 16 and 17 that David got his stuff back. And when David got his stuff back, he provided it and gave it out to all the people. He was a provider, which shows us that David understood the concept in Genesis 2 where you're to tend the land. That word abad in, in the in Genesis means to work, it means to serve, it means to labor, it means to cultivate. It's amazing that the first thing that God gave a man in the garden was a job. God has provided or, or designed men to work. God told David, all your life by the sweat of your brow, you will produce food until your dying day. God designed men to work until death and you probably will not like your job. But that don't mean you quit. I hear men all the time say, I quit my job, my boss was mean to me. And I said, I'll tell them this, if you put your family in jeopardy or have to borrow money just because you didn't like your job, that's sad. And we are in America today. There's a growing problem where we're raising children to be dependent on our parents much, much later in life. Israel had the problem for a little while. You didn't see too many people in Israel that were lazy. But Solomon says this, the lazy person claims there's a line on the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a line out there. As the door swings back and forth on its hinges, so the lazy person turns over in bed. Lazy people take food in their hand but don't even lift it to their mouth. What Solomon's saying is there's a person in his bed, and he says there's a line out there, but I'm too lazy to go look for it. Notice what Proverbs 21:25 says on the screen. The desire of the lazy man kills him for his hands refuse to labor. Guys, listen to me. My mama worked two and three jobs. Two and three jobs to provide for us. I have no respect for a man, a grown man that will not work. I have none for you. Absolutely none. If you're a husband and you don't work, I have zero respect for you. If you have a wife that's keeping you and your family up just because you're too lazy to work, David was, a, where is dad? He's a provider. You realize I grew up in a single parent home and barely got, we barely got child support. Barely. And my mom worked and worked and worked my whole life. Two and three jobs my whole life. Senior night at the high school, you know my, why my mama wasn't there? Because she was working. Because we didn't have a man working. 
Man, God has called and designed you to work. So get a job, amen, and work. Do you realize that we have more jobs available in America now than we ever have, I think, in the history of our country, and people still will not work? It's sad, and most of those are men. Shame on you men if you won't work. David provided for his family. And then the final thing is this. Where is dad? Dad is our priest. Dad is our priest. Notice verse 6 on the screen. And you know what this did for David? This got David's children back. The Amalekites wanted them as slaves. Listen to this, men. This is why it's so important for you to be the spiritual leader of your home. In the next 30 minutes in the United States alone, there will be 29 kids attempting suicide. 57 adolescents will run away. 22 teenage girls will get an abortion. And 685 teenagers will use some form of narcotics or worse. And that's only in the next 30 minutes. Where's the men? If I go to prisons and I speak and I don't go like I used to, I'll say, how many of you have a dad in home? Probably what? Scotty, 2% will raise their hand? 2% will raise their hand. And I'll ask them. This is what I'll ask them. Hey, how many of you have a dad, have kids? About all of them raise their hand. And I'll say, listen, let me ask you a question. Just because you're behind bars doesn't mean you're not a dad. I said, my dad, when I grew up, my dad was in prison about my whole life. Never heard from my dad. And I'll say, do you realize that you're still a dad? Now I'm talking to people in a packed chapel service. And I'll say, I'll say how, many of you can, how many of you have wrote a letter to your child? Do you know, when my dad was in prison, me and my brother never got one letter, not one. You know how easy it is to write? You got a little bit of time. If you can make those matchbox houses, I used to tell them, with matches, you can write a letter, and they'd all laugh. And I remember telling the guys, how many of you, how many of you will make a commitment today to write your child a letter? And I remember guys all over saying, I said, can you just write, write a letter? And I remember one guy saying this. Scotty, I'll never forget it. I can't read or write. And everybody started laughing. I said, that's not funny. And I looked at the other guy and said, can you read and write? He goes, yeah. You tell him what you want to tell your kid, all right? And then you write it for him. And the whole place started clapping. I said, your child needs to know that you love them. You're still a dad. And then I had one guy stand up and he said, Preacher Jamie, I got 10 kids. I said, you better go buy some stamps, brother, because you're going to be writing a lot of letters. Amen? And we all just started clapping and crying. You're still a dad. Hey, man, let me ask you a question. Just please. I mean, you guys can get in a tree stand at 4.30 in the morning, and you can't get to church by 10.30. I don't got a lot of respect for you. Don't be giving me your excuses. My wife has never ironed my clothes to go to church. My wife has never got me up to go to church. I got saved October 30th, 1990, and this has been a part of my life since then. Don't, don't give me your excuses. You're the priest of your home. And your kids are a reflection of your walk with Jesus. And some of you need to make a commitment instead of just coming on Father's Day and Christmas and Easter to being in church. Everything is, is dependent on that. One hour a week? Are you kidding me? You can spend all this time on a ball field doing your hobbies, working and working and working, but you can't show up for one hour on Sunday? It says a lot about you. It says a lot about you. It says a lot about me as well. Dave, where's Dad? He's the priest. Where are you, Dad? You're the priest of your home. You're the spiritual example of your home. Be, I would tell you today, make a commitment that with church would be a part of your life. And men, listen, he got his kids back. Steve Ferrar says this, As a pastor, almost every issue that came through my door 
if you boiled it down to its core, was about men's leadership. If men were on target with Jesus, you'd eliminate about 98% of counseling in the church. True. Not asking you to be perfect. Just be a man. Dad, your physical presence is so important with your children. Your emotional presence is so important with your children. But can you imagine how David felt here? The loneliest guy on earth. But the Bible says that when David sought the Lord, he encouraged himself in the Lord, that he recovered all. He recovered it all. And David earned the right to be the provider, the priest, and the protector of his family once again. Now let me ask you a question. Have you earned the right to be your son's best man? Have you earned the right to walk your daughter down the aisle? Have you? In your life? I want you to cut the live feed off.